comfort as we've looked into the book of Daniel and the message that the Lord has for us. Now, before we get into where we're going to pray together, as we pray together, I want to, I want to remember two specific people this morning, if you'll join me in that. First of all, Ray Hanley, sitting right there. Ray plays a bass with our, with our, our praise group. Ray will have back surgery on Tuesday, and then they're going to knock him out for about three days. So I'm going to go do a selfie, and when he's slobbering and stuff, we'll put it up next week and stuff so you see it. Uh, but anyway, so pray for Ray and join me in prayer for him. The other, the other one I want us to pray for this morning is Jim Kaiser. Jim Kaiser uh, has gotten the news that he does have cancer in the throat, uh, part of the tongue in the, in the lip nose there. And uh, he and Jennifer are going to meet uh, with the doctors this week and talk about how they're going to proceed, what they're, what they're going to do. Jim's watching us online, so y'all just wave to Jim. Uh, and, and I'm going to have you do this so he sees you. And then those who are right by Ray want to gather around Ray right now. Put your hand up on him. Let's stand together. Let's pray for these two men. And then we're going to get into the word this morning. Join me in prayer. Father, how good you are to us. You are a God of mercy. You're a God of grace. And you've taught us and you've told us that there's not one thing that we cannot bring before you. Because you care about what we're going through. And Lord, there are a lot of people in our church going through hard times right now. And, and we do not want to in any way neglect to pray for anybody. But today, especially, Lord, we want to pray for our brothers. Or I lift Ray up to you and Robbie as they, they enter into this week. And I, I, particularly I lift up their, their Ray's surgeon as he's going to deal with his back and, and with spinal issues. I pray, Lord, you'll give him great skill on Tuesday. And you'll use him as your instrument to, to minister to Ray's body. And I pray for a quick healing and, and a resolution to what Ray's been going through. Lord, we put him in your hands and we trust you with him. And now I lift up Jim to you and Jennifer. Lord, I, I pray for our brother who is going to enter this fight with cancer. And I pray for wisdom for he and Jennifer and for the doctors. And Lord, I pray that, that the things that you would have them do will be the, the appropriate thing for our brother. Lord, I thank you that you're, you're, the, the message from the doctors is that they can deal with this. I'm grateful for that. But Lord, we want to pray for healing. Complete healing. Once again, Lord, we trust our brother with you because there's no safer place for him to be. Now, Lord, as we as a church family enter into a time of looking at your word and receiving your word, I pray that you will clean our hearts, you will clean our minds. And, Father, I pray you will give us faith to apply your word as, you, as your Holy Spirit directs us. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. All right, let's, let's look. As uh, people return to their chairs, uh, we're going to look at uh, Daniel chapter 12. Uh, if you did not bring your Bible, it will be on the screen behind me here. Uh, so, Daniel chapter 12. There are 13 verses as we close out this study together. Here's what is written for us. It says, at that time. Now, remember, we're talking. This, is, this has to do with Daniel's last visions, talking about a time that is yet to come. Yet to come, certainly for Daniel, but I want you to know this is the time that's yet to come for us. The world has not seen what we're going to talk about here today. And we are heading in this direction. So it says, at that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there, were, there was a nation, 
even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book and tell the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the, of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and, and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 100, excuse me, 1,300 and 35 days. But you, go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. This closes out the book of Daniel. Daniel is intricately tied with the book of Revelation. Daniel deals with many visions and, and, and many dreams. Not only the dreams that he has, but as we've studied this book together, the dreams that God has chosen to give kings, Daniel has dealt with. Daniel has dealt with persecution. He has been thrown into a lion's den. His brothers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we remember were thrown into a fiery furnace, and God was there and brought protection upon them. We see God's hand of protection upon his people. God does not change who he is, nor does he change what he does. God is a God of protection. And God's hand is always upon his people as they follow him, as they walk obedient to him, and as they do the things that he tells them to do. God's hand is never off of us. You say, wait a minute, pastor, people go through hard times. Of course they do. People have to face bad reports. Of course we do. Pastor, you yourself have said before that times are going to get more and more difficult for believers. And they are. But I remind you, my brothers and my sisters, that the promise is God's hand will always be upon us. And though the world may bring danger into upon itself and even upon us at times, we need to remember this truth. There is no safer place for the believer to be than under the hand of Almighty God. There is no safer place. 
And nothing can touch you that does not go through your heavenly father. Nothing can touch you. And you say, what does that mean? Well, part of what it means to me is whatever we must face, God already knows it. And God has promised that he will be there for us. Even you say, and I want you to understand, even if physical death comes, we don't have to deal with physical death by ourselves. I love what the psalmist said. He understood this. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there you are with me. The promise of Jesus. I'm going away, but I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, you will be also. You see, the last great enemy we as human beings face is that enemy called death. And we fear it because we don't really know all the, all the, all the parts and all the inner workings of this death, this thing called death. But God has promised us victory over death. And no physical death will come for all of us unless Jesus Christ comes first. It ought not to be something we fear, but it ought to be something that, that quite frankly, people don't believe it this way. And maybe I'm not quite yet to a place where I can believe it this way. But it really ought to be for the believer something we embrace. Because we step from this temporal existence, this world filled with all kinds of evil, and we get to step into the very presence of our Heavenly Father. In a place where there's no more tears, no more saying goodbye, no more sickness, no more hurt, and no more death. This is what we have promised for. And what a promise he's given to us. Now we come to this last chapter and there is both words of encouragement here and also some words of of warning for those who might reject Jesus Christ. I've said in churches before and I've, I've heard preachers preach. I've preached before on hell, upon eternity. It is very uncomfortable for me when I sit in churches when the preacher says, well, if you don't do this, you're going to hell, and half the people clap about it. Really? My church, we didn't remember that even the thought of someone spending one minute in eternity without God ought to break our hearts. It ought to stir us to be a people who have the compassion of God for lost souls who have yet to come to faith. Knowing that, that what they're going to face, not for, not for a minute, not for five minutes, not for an hour, not for a day, not for a month, but for eternity. To be separated from God. Hell's not a place where we talk, we talk about with a sense of joy, but really with a sense of compassion and sadness at the same time. It is very sad to me to consider that people will reject Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the expression of God's love. That's what the Bible teaches me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not spend eternity in that place called hell, but will have everlasting life. It's our message to the world. I remind you, church, it is our primary message to the world. The world doesn't need to know or not really concern what we feel about political matters, doesn't really... They really don't care about a morality right now. The the main message, the primary message they need to hear from us is the message of the gospel. Because only the gospel and the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit who would present it to them can change someone's heart. Where they begin to receive the truths of God concerning all other matters. Remember how you were before you were saved? You remember your view of things before you were saved? How it was so worldly the way you thought? 
And then all of a sudden you were born again and you began to see things as God saw them. You began to understand the word of God in a, excuse me, in a way that you've never understood it before. This is what God has called us to, to share that gospel that people might be set free from their sin and from their darkness. And they might see for the first time the truth of God. With those things in mind, let's look at what God gives Daniel here in Daniel chapter 12. When we look at the first part of this, this verse, verse 1 is a very long verse, if you will, compared to the other verses in, in this passage. And there's some truths that, that he gives Daniel. The first truth that he gives Daniel in there is he once again names Michael. This is not the first time he mentioned Michael in this book. Actually, it is the third time. He mentions Michael. We saw Michael last week when Gabriel talked about the battle that was going on. And Michael was sent to aid Gabriel to when he was fighting the territorial spirits. Michael was sent. Now, who is this Michael that he speaks about right here? Michael is the archangel. He's the only angel in all scripture that's called the archangel. I know that some people hold that Gabriel, Michael, and one time Lucifer were all archangels. But only Michael is called the archangel, which speaks of his position as an angel in heaven. Now, we've talked about principalities and powers, that is, involving the fallen angels who dwell in the heavenlies. And when we say principalities and powers, we begin to recognize that these spirits have, these angels have rankings, if you will. Well, that's true not only in the fallen angels, it's true in those angels who, who remain with God and did not fall when Lucifer fell. They have positions. Some of them have positions of authority. Some have great power. I know sometimes we talk about the cherubim. When we, the, the vision we get in cher, uh, of the cherubim many times is this, uh, this little guy that has little wings on his back and he's got an arrow and, and about Valentine time, Valentine's Day, he flies around, little scooter thing, flies around, and I don't, scooter thing, what's a scooter thing? He kind of flies around, and, and then when that special person crosses your path, he shoots that arrow right into your heart. Anybody been hit with one of those arrows in the heart for anybody? Come on now. I've been hit with one of those arrows. That's how we see the cherubim. But I want to tell you something. That's not how the Bible describes a cherubim. He literally describes them as mighty warriors, incredible beings. So incredible that in the times in the scripture when they would appear to a human, the human almost every time would fall on their knees before this, this angelic being. And then because it is an angelic being and because it is a created being, that, that cherubim would always say, well, don't do that. Listen, you don't fall on your knees before me. Only before the Lord do you fall on your knees. I'm not worthy of your worship. I'm a created being just like you are. Only God is worthy of your worship. But these are great and mighty beings. And it, you, you, it's hard for me to even begin to imagine what Michael must be like. And yet he says here that Michael, as he, as he begins this, this, this teaching about the end times, the last days, involving the people of Daniel, who, by the way, are the people of Israel. And some people say, why do you stand with Israel? And I have to make it very clear 
that it's not because I agree with every political decision that the Knesset makes and, and that the nation of Israel makes. That's not what it is at all. Matter of fact, I've been to Israel six times now, and here's what I do know about Israel. They are a nation in unbelief. For the most part, they're agnostic. All right? And I would say this, those who are the ultra-Orthodox in Israel don't even care about you. Nor do they want you in their, in their country. Nor do they want the new temple built. I mean, there's a whole lot of issues going on. And sometimes we do this blanket thing, well, I stand with Israel no matter what. Well, we stand with Israel because God has a, a prophetic plan for them and God has established them as a people. That does not mean we give them a carte blanche for anything they want to do and anything they want to believe. We, that's just not it. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Because I probably made half of you mad say, well, pastor don't stand with Israel. And the other half you say, well, pastor stands too much with Israel. You can't win up here. I'm just telling you. That's what happens. And boy, you, you want to really get it going. Put something like that up on Facebook and see what happens after that happens. All right. So I think, I think the Bible has, uh, excuse me, the, the evangelical church of which we are part needs to keep a proper perspective of this. So that we would respond from a biblical position. And yes, we ought to pray for the peace of, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says. Support the nation of Israel in the sense that they, that they're God's people. And, and, and pray that, pray that their eyes would be open to their Messiah, Jesus. That day's coming, by the way. But notice here that this passage deals with Israel, which again reminds me that God still has a prophetic plan in the last days for the nation of Israel. And it involves here Michael standing up for them. When you stand up for somebody, you, 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 again, you protect them, you, 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 you fight for them, you make sure that they are safe so they remain in God's plan. And Michael, the archangel, has been given this assignment by God for the people of, of, of Daniel, who is, who, excuse me, who are the nation of Israel. So he tells us, first of all, that Michael will stand up for the people. The second thing that he tells us is that there, there will come a time of trouble like the world has never seen. Now, this is quite a statement when you deal with the nation of Israel. Would you agree with me? When you look at Israel throughout his, history, it seems like trouble just seems to follow them. We look at ancient history. We we see we see uh, a man by the we talked about him last week. The man by the name of Haman that hated the hated uh, Mordecai so much, and, and 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 that he wanted to destroy not only Mordecai, but you remember he 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 had sort of manipulated the well, not sort of he manipulated the king to make a decree not only to kill Mordecai but to kill all the Jews, and then God raised up Esther. To be his queen, and God used Esther. But man, that was a that was a time of trouble when the Babylonian Babylonians came against Israel just prior to the time that we're reading right here, and they ultimately in three sieges in three sieges against Jerusalem. When they finished, they had destroyed the city, they had destroyed the temple, and they had taken anybody of any value <laughs> captive. And I'm sure again. The Jewish people would say, boy, it can't get any worse than this. Can't get any worse than this. In AD 70, Rome turns its fury on the people of Israel again, trying to exterminate and to annihilate them. 
What happens because of that? We have the, what's called the great dispersion, that, that these, the Jewish people were dispersed throughout all the known world at that time. But you remember once again, Rome went into Jerusalem, laid waste to the city, laid waste to the, to the, to the temple. That wasn't enough. There's a man not too long ago by the name of, of Hitler. Not only him, but his axis of evil with the intention once again to completely annihilate the Jewish people from the face of the earth. And yet even today, even today, there are terrorist groups that have as part of their, of their ideology and their agenda is to destroy the Jewish people, to drive them into the sea, to annihilate them. Sadly, there are some theologies that do the same thing. And we need to be on our guard against these, these type of things. But my point would be here, he says, there's going to come a time that's worse than anything that's ever happened before. A time of trouble like you've never seen before. Now listen, it wasn't only Daniel that said this, but we have the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 30 of his book, in verse 6 and 7, it says this, Ask now and see whether a man is Ever in labor with child? Now, that's kind of an interesting question or analogy there. But he's talking about the pain that's going to come. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? You see the word picture he's given us, a, a, a picture of great pain that's going to come upon the people. And all their faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great. Again, that term, that day is great. So that none is like it. None is like it. And it is a time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Again, what Daniel says right here. A time like the world has never seen before. But God has promised them protection. And God has promised them rescue. The same thing can be said for us. God has promised us protection. But not only protection, God has promised us rescue. I have people who told me before, Pastor, I don't like your theology. I said, well, there's a line for that. Okay? And, and so I would say, you know, I, I really don't even like your, your eschatology. There's, a, there's a, probably a bigger line for that one. Because you, you believe that there's a rapture coming. And I would say to you, I do. I don't condemn those who don't, but I just, I do. And they would say, well, the reason you do that is because you have this escapist mentality. Okay, let me deal with that one for a while. Can I change a, name, a word for you, brother? It's not really escapist. It's more of a rescue mentality. I have no problem believing that God rescues his own. I just simply have no problem on that. Here he promises in Daniel and in Jeremiah that he's going to protect and rescue his people. But not only does Daniel say so, not only does Jeremiah say so, but we live in a time, and boy, this is coming to church. Someone told me before. I only, Tony, I only hold those, those verses that are red letter. Do everybody know what a red letter means? They are the words recorded of Jesus. And, and there, there, are, there are a group of people 
even in the church who say, somehow these red letters have more importance than the other words in the Bible. So you have red letters and you have the black letters in the Bible. Can I tell you something? And I hope you get this. All the words in the Bible belong to Jesus. All the words in the Bible are from God. All the scripture is inspired. Not one part higher than the other. Now I know we like to select the part we like, right? Everybody have your part you like? Anybody besides me have those parts you have difficulty with or don't like? Oh, I can't believe he said he doesn't like scripture. There's some scripture i got some issues with. But you know what? My issues with those passages of scripture does not change the fact that those passages of scripture are inspired by God and they are due my obedience and trust, just like any other scripture in the Bible. Yeah, sometimes we get so pious in our approach, we say, I don't have any problem with any part of the scripture. Well, you need to deal with that part that talks about lying. Because <laughs> if you studied the scripture and you know the scripture, I guarantee you there are parts that you at least have difficulty with. I guarantee you, you do. But we don't want to tell people that because they don't think we're quite as holy as we want people to think. Well, just tell them. We're not quite as holy as you think we are. We are sinful people who have been redeemed by, through the grace of God by the blood of Jesus. And we still have issues. We still have struggles. We still have doubts. We still have all those things that everybody deals with. But we have Jesus. And that makes all the difference. So we see here, he talks about the struggle. But look at what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 and 22 says, For there will be great tribulation. Such, and look at the terminology, just like Daniel. Such as not has been since the beginning of the world unto this time. No, nor shall be. Now listen, Jesus is not talking about something that's happening. He just tells you that. Something is coming that's far above anything that these people or the world has ever faced before. Look at verse 22. This is an incredible statement. He says, and unless those days were shortened. He's not talking about less than 24 hours. He's talking about that there's a specific amount of time God has allotted. And Daniel dealt with that as we read earlier about that, about that time. He says, unless the days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. God has a great plan for his own. But it doesn't make it easy. Did you hear what I just said? It doesn't make it easy. This world is going to go through something like this world has never seen before. I mean, some of, I don't think we have any left. We may have. Uh, we've had some people in our church, in, in the history of our church since I've been here as a pastor, that went through World War II. The last great war that, that, that would end all wars. I don't think, I, I do think I met one guy way back when I was a young, young guy, uh, an old World War I veteran. Pretty incredible when you think about it. The war to end all wars. That war that ended all wars didn't last very long. Then you have the World War II. And now we have one after another after another. And you have, you have the deception even beginning right now. The world's at peace right now. Everything's okay. Isn't it funny? The world is falling apart around people. And, and we have, we have the, the media and everything tell us it's, it's okay. Don't believe what your eyes are saying. Believe what I'm telling you. 
is part of the great deception that's coming. And yet I want to say this to you, as bad as World War I was, as bad as World War II was, as bad as all the wars combined have been, there is coming a time, according to our Savior Jesus Christ, worse than the world has ever seen before. So bad, and man will be so corrupt, and man will hate life so much, that unless the days were shortened, there'd be no flesh left upon the earth. That's an incredible statement. So the second thing we see in verse 1 here is we see the, 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 if you will, the prophecy of a time of great tribulation that's coming upon the earth. The third thing we see in this passage, verse 1, I, I like how, he, how this is the part I really like. When he, when, after we talk about those, those great times, it says, it says here in the last part, it says, And at that time your people shall be, what does he say there? Delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And the book of Revelation, it, it expands that, not just for the Jewish believers, but it expands it because that's who Daniel was dealing with, but it expands to all believers. Everyone whose name is in the Lamb's book of life shall see salvation or has salvation, shall experience the rescue of the Lord for their soul. This is the promise that we have, that our, if our name is there. So we see in this, this, this first birth, verse, also hope in Christ. The prophet Zechariah tells us and reminds us that the day will come even with the, with the people from Israel who, or the Jewish people who have, who have rejected Jesus previously as their Messiah. They will see him who they pierce and they will believe. That day will come, praise God, that day will come when they too shall know their Messiah. That we have this great promise that's in this passage. Now some people say, Pastor, what do you, how much of the tribulation do you think we're going through? What I think and what I know for sure are two different things. What I think is that we will be out of here at the beginning of tribulation. But what could happen is we're not. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not a prophet. So if someone says, well, Tony, you were one of those pre-tribs, pre-mill, rapture kind of guys, and we're still here. Well, that's not stoning day for Tony, okay? <laughs> because I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. But I believe my view as a preponderance of the scripture leads to, to what I view. But there are wonderful Christian people, even in our own church, who don't hold that same view. You say, well, who's right? Well, it's not a contest. It's a matter of trying to understand what scripture says. And, but the most important thing is that we live in faith in the time that Jesus has designed for us to be here. And if we are raptured, that's all the better for everybody. If we're not, then we still have Christ who's given us everything that, that he has given to us. And yes, if you don't believe in a rapture and it does happen, you still get to go. <laughs> and that's a good thing. So we have this promise. We have this information. Michael will stand up for Israel. God will put his hand in protection upon them, even though the time of tribulation will be greater than they've ever faced and the world has ever faced before. And he will redeem his own. There, there's a promise of, of that first verse. Now, we read on in verse 2, and we see a promise of a resurrection coming. Now, the resurrection is an interesting truth. 
Resurrection literally means full bodily, we we always say a full bodily resurrection, but it's kind of redundant. The word resurrection means that the body will be raised. Not just the spirit, but the body will be raised. One of the, the basic foundations of our biblical faith is that Jesus Christ is risen. Amen? And if you tried to go over to the Middle East right now, and if you could find Joseph of Arimathea's family tomb, you would not find the bones of Jesus in that tomb. Because he's not there. He is risen. And when Mary went to take care of the body, the body was not there. And when the disciples ran to see the body and they looked within the tomb... The body was not there. And the angels told him, he is not here. Okay, where is he? Did they take him? Did someone steal his body? Did the disciples take his body? Those same disciples that got there and had to get that information and and, and hide his body? No, the angels answered both questions. First of all, he's not here. Well, where is he? He's risen, just like he said. Listen, there, according to Scripture, there is no biblical Christianity apart from the risen, risen Lord. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, the Bible says, then your faith is futile. It's meaningless. It's powerless. It can't save you. But because he has risen and he is risen from the dead, you and I now through him have victory over sin, death, and hell once and for all. I like to put it this way, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the Father's amen to what he did on the cross. There's a lot of people who died on the cross. There's only one who rose from the dead. There's only one. His name is Jesus. Now, because he is risen, the promise is that we will be risen or we will rise also. And in verse 2, he talks about this truth. He says, many of those who sleep, that means those who are dead. It says sleep in the dust here. It means, it means literally those who have died. Okay? They shall awake. Well, how do you awaken the dead? Well, we understand if someone's asleep how to wake them up. My wife does that too often in the morning. Actually, I wake up before the alarm goes off. I don't know why I do that now. I was determined when I was younger, when I got old, I would not be one of those old guys that wake up early. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. You can't predetermine that. I found that out. And usually about 15 minutes before the alarm goes off, I'm sitting there staring at it, waiting for it to go off. You know what I'm talking about? That's the longest 15 minutes in the whole day right there, waiting for that thing to go off. But we understand the concept of when someone's asleep, they can be awakened. What he's trying to say here is those who have died in the flesh are going to be brought to life. That sounds a little bit science fiction type thing. A little mythology going on there and stuff. But if Jesus has risen from the dead, and that means full bodily risen from the dead, the promise is we will too. But what is interesting in this passage, and a lot of people don't realize, it's not only believers who will rise from the dead, but it is the unbelievers also, 
who will rise from this. What he says here in verse 20, uh, when he taught, excuse verse 2, when he says, some to everlasting, some will rise to everlasting life. Praise God. But sadly, some to shame. And notice the same word is used here. Everlasting contempt. There's only one or two places that any human being would go. You can't, you and I came into existence through the process that God created called procreation. A miracle happened when our mother and our father joined together in a biological act. And we were the product of that. Conception happened. You know what happened when conception happened? You happened. You happened at conception. You were who you were with your genes and your DNA and all that stuff. You were completely who you were at that moment. That's quite incredible. It's one of the reasons why we hold so life so dear. Now you say, wait a minute. No, I was this little uh, goofy-looking thing in there, Pastor. And look, I've grown to be a, a big goofy-looking thing. Okay? <laughs> But listen, you were not a non-human at that point. You were a human at the beginning of your own development at that point. Now, you may not look like you looked then, but let me tell you something. I've seen pictures of some of you going through some of these pictures. I see what you looked like when you were 20 and 25. You don't look like that now either. (laughs) You've changed since then. Part of the process that we have is always changing, is it not? So, so it's not, you have a, when, when you have a, a conception take place, you don't have a potential human, you have a human. And if they're left alone, then they're going, you have a human being that has potential life. But again, you have a human, not a potential human at that point. So, when, when we when we look when we look at this this passage and stuff, uh, we need to understand that you came into existence at that point. You didn't exist prior to that point. So there's much more than biology going on that because each of you who have more than one child. Know that every one of your children are distinctly different from one another. Some of you have twins. How many of you have twins in here? How many of you are twins in here? Okay, okay. So so even your twin is not your twin in every way. They are distinctly different from one another. Who you become in that miracle of God at conception, that being, that soul, that spirit, if you will, lives from that time to eternity. So the question is, the only question is, where are you going to live? Where are you for a time, for a short time relatively, you and I get to live on this earth. But this isn't all there is. And so Daniel says this, and it's an Old Testament teaching, Old Testament teaching of resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous dead and the unbelieving dead that he talks about here. Now, he, again, he's not the only one that speaks about this. Here's what it says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 through 24. And I'm about to move this along. It says, but Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam, excuse me, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in its own order. Christ first. Christ is the first fruit. 
how, how he puts it here. Christ first. Afterward, those who are in Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father and he puts an end to all Excuse me, puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. I love this. Be told, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we who are still alive on this earth shall be changed. But what about, as Daniel says here, those who have rejected Messiah, those who do not believe in him and do not know God. Revelation tells us about this group, and it's a very sad picture that he draws for us here. Revelation chapter 11, verse, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for those. Listen, I had someone tell me before, Pastor, I'm just waiting for the great white throne, and, and I'll do okay there. I'm going to tell you this. If you're standing before the great white throne, you're doomed already. But you'll get your day in court. But you don't want to be, you don't want to be standing before the great white throne. You say, well, what about my judgment? Your judgment was taken at a place called Calvary. Your, your judgment was done at a place called Calvary. The last altar the world would ever need, Calvary. And the final judgment of God upon the sins of those who would trust in him and believe in him poured out upon his son on Calvary. Therefore, Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation or there is no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus today? Then your sins have been judged. They have been paid for. Your substitutionary atonement has faced the wrath of God for you, so you would never have to face it. But if you haven't done that, you will stand before the great white throne. Now let's read on about this great white throne. He says this, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. Look at what it says here. The sea gave up its dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. That's eternal hell. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's a resurrection coming for the redeemed and for those who do not believe. The resurrection for the redeemed is tied to the resurrection. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is the promise of eternal life. But the resurrection of the unbelievers is a resurrection that brings them to the great white throne judgment. And from the great white throne judgment, they go into the lake of fire. What a horrible Horrible thing. And listen, God tells Daniel these things in these Old Testament, these Old Testament verses. Well, as we move along here, Daniel, who's received so much truth and information from God, you'll notice here in this passage I read earlier, that he wants more information. 
And I, I'm thinking, when I'm reading this and getting this together, I said, well, who wouldn't? God, you really piqued my interest now. You've told me some things now that you haven't shown me before or told me before. So, okay, give me some more. Give me some more. And so Daniel's like we are when he says, God, give me some more. I, I don't quite understand. Help me have understand. And you know what God says to Daniel? Nope. I've given you what I've given you because I've given you what you need to have at this point. Matter of fact, he tells Daniel, he says, Daniel, I want you to take that book that I've given you, that I've shown you and stuff. I want you to close it. I want you to close it. And what he's saying here is, is, is and he actually says, he says, that the information that remains in that book is not for right now. But for that time when we get close to the end of time. Now, some people, if you just read Daniel, say, what book is he talking about here? Somebody says, well, he's talking about the Bible. Well, no, he's really not talking about the Bible here. But what he is talking about is prophecy or the prophetic word of God that was given to Daniel. Now, again, these Old Testament prophets, it's not that they necessarily had greater spiritual insight than you can have. Because what they presented to us in, in the prophetic word of God, it comes from God. In other words, God chose to give it to them. Now, of course, they were faithful, praise God, to give us what God had shown them. But, but they are they're instruments of God the same way that you and I are called to be instruments of God. As we receive his word, we're responsible to share that word with other people. So Daniel was given... The prophetic word that God chose to give him, but it came to a place where God says, okay, that's all you're going to get. Close up this book, and there will come a time when this book, this same book, will be open. You say, Tony, is there a time in the Bible recorded for us where the book is open? Revelation chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, here's what he says. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said... Go take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So when I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Who's speaking here? It's John. What book's he talking about? The same book that God told to the, to the angel, told Daniel to close up because it wasn't time yet. Now God has get, given through his angel to John this book. It's the same book. But in this book, we have the completion of God's work. And when you read the book of Revelation, you get a lot of things filled in that Daniel didn't tell you. You get a lot of specific things, details filled in. And again, it takes us all the way to the end of time and how that's going to happen. That's what the book of Revelation does. Now, it's interesting to say, what, what do you mean it makes your stomach bitter? Listen, prophecy is a hard thing. And most prophecy is not what I want to say. It's not pleasant to receive. See, the Old Testament Jews, they wanted prophets who made them feel good about themselves. But unless we pick on the Old Testament Jews, that's just the exact same way the New Testament church is. All I want is good news. Well, when the world is so filled with sin the way that it is, 
how can we expect good news? Except for our redemption. And so prophecy may be sweet to the mouth, but it's bitter to the stomach. Because it eventually gives us words that we don't want to hear. Everybody wants a no. want to eat it. Everybody wants a no. But once you get it, you say, oh, I wish I hadn't ate that. That's what he's talking about here. But what I want you to know is that, that, that though Daniel did not know everything, Daniel knew what the Holy Spirit gave him and the inspiration of the word. But we come to the time where God says to Daniel in this passage, he says, Daniel, take it, shut it up now. It's not time for the, people, the world to know this. But here's what I can tell you, Daniel. There's going to come a time when I'm going to have that book opened again. And I'm going to share what's going to happen. And the Bible doesn't leave us hanging here. The book that Daniel closed, John opened. The truth that Daniel had received, and some of it was concealed to the world, now God has revealed it through the prophet and the apostle John in the book of Revelation. Now what does he say about this time? He promises that the prophetic word of God will be complete. And the information will be given at the time that God has decided. The book that was closed for Daniel is open to John. He goes on to say, good and evil will continue. Good and evil will continue. But he also says that wickedness will increase. We talked about how bad the world will get that there would be if the days were not shortened. But Paul also tells us about this truth. Listen as I read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. He says, But know this, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haunty, lovers of pleasure than, rather than lovers of God. Boy, what a list. Sounds like the world a lot today, and it's going to grow worse. And then it says this, and they will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. In other words, they will have this religious outlook, but they won't be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into the households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never coming to the knowledge of truth. Man, if that doesn't sound like much of what's happening in religion today, you're not paying attention. You would think after 2,000 years what would be common is churches that are strong in the word of God. Churches that have made a decision that they will not compromise what God's word has said. Yet the opposite is actually true. It is actually more common to find churches and religious movements that have warped or diluted or uh, corrupted the scripture so that people can be comfortable with any lifestyle or any, any kind of sin that they want to be, be comfortable with. I mean, after all, who wants to hear that you're supposed to be living holy lives. Who wants to hear that God is your authority, he's your sovereign, and what he says is what, how we need to live? Who wants to hear those things? I mean, we all want a God that's created in our own image who likes what we like, 
who allows us to do whatever we like to do. We live in a time, church, where there is no standard. There's no objective source of truth. Everybody does what they want to do. And they become their own source of, of, of truth. And the basis of truth is no longer because it is God's objective truth. It's how I feel about something. I just feel this way. Why do you believe it? Well, I just feel this way. Can I ask you a question? And then I'll move on, I promise. Has anybody besides me ever been led astray by their feelings? Come on. We need an objective source of truth. If not, we'll go astray. Because our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And they would always lead us contrary to God. So he tells us that's how this time, Daniel tells us that, that the wicked will continue as well as the righteous. Okay? But he tells, the, 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 the angel tells Daniel to go his way. He tells Daniel he's going to pass. He's going to die. But then he closes this book by saying, Daniel, you need to go your way. Close up the book. Go your way. These things are not for you to reveal. You are going to die physically. But here's what you get, Daniel. But Daniel, when the time comes, God's going to raise you. Because you belong to him. Now listen, folks. And I'll close our service with these thoughts. First of all, God chose Daniel to be where Daniel was at that time. And to give Daniel what he wanted to give him. And have Daniel fulfill God's call upon his life. The same thing is true for you. You say, Pastor, I'm not Daniel. Of course you're not. I'm not a prophet. Well, none of us are. But you exist right now in this world at this time by God's sovereign choice. He put you here for right now. And it's not a coincidence that you're here, whether we're talking about in the time you and I live, or it's not a coincidence that you're in this building here right now. This message is not directed to anyone individually from me. But I always believe that the message is always directed to me individually by the Holy Spirit of God, which means I have to believe the same thing is true for you, that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you. As God had a plan for Daniel, God has a plan for you. My challenge to the church is as Daniel was faithful to the end. For God's call for him. May God make us faithful to the end for what he's given us and the time he's put us here. I can tell you this, the world is not going to get better. And I don't say that as a fatalist. But I say to someone who knows what the scripture says, and I know you know this truth too. The hearts of men are going to grow colder and colder and colder. It's going to become more and more difficult to share the gospel. But we share the gospel anyway. It's going to become more and more difficult to live in this world. I've been a pastor for almost 44 years now. I've said to my wife more than one time, I have outlived my time. The world has changed so much, I don't recognize this place. And by the way, folks, I'm going to just tell you, 
from my perspective, overall, the church has changed so much I don't recognize it. And I'm not talking about style of this, that, or I'm talking about truth. It breaks my heart when I turn on my computer or open a, a religious newspaper or something like that and see pastors and churches falling away. God has called us here for now. And I mentioned Queen Esther earlier. And you remember the statement that Mordecai, her, her, her relative, said to her? You know, Esther, it could be for such a time as this that God has put you here. Church, can you see? My brother and sister, can you see? It's for such a time as this that God has put us here. And we've got to stop playing church. We've got to stop just being religious. We've got to stop wearing our feelings on our shoulders. We've got to stop seeking comfort and prosperity and popularity. And we need to seek the heart of our Savior, Jesus. And we need to begin to see the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in his church once again. First of all, that our lives would be transformed by the power of God. And then as God wills, that we begin to see other people's lives transform as the power of the gospel under the work of the Holy Spirit begins to change men and women and children and young people's hearts because the day is drawing near, believe me. And there will come a time when people won't have the opportunity to respond. But listen, that time's not now. So let's be the church. People who know that they're here by the hand of God. And people who know God has put his hand upon us and called us to be a people surrendered to his spirit, empowered by his spirit, and sharing his truth wherever he leads us. Would you bow your head with me?